Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right. Man, what a great place to be to celebrate the victory of life. Hey, can I get an amen on that? Come on. Let me hear something. That's good. I, honestly, I just, I wasn't really sure that day was ever going to come. And, and it's just, um, one of the things that I believed for a long time was I, I've always wondered, we pray, we pray for God to bless our country. We pray for, for there to be a revival. But how could that be when we had that in place? And now that scourge, the, the, the dark cloud, um, the guilt over our country has, has been removed and we are free to go forward now in life, and we should celebrate that. And you know what? June is now pro-life month, and we'll be forevermore. Amen. <clears throat> now, I do want to say a couple things about that. Number one, um, as believers and as a church, one of the things that we need to do is, is make sure that we continue to support our crisis pregnancy center um, here in our town, and uh, the director of that goes to our church, Charlie Ricky, and they do great work, and we want to continue to, to reach out and, and support women who are in difficult spots uh, with pregnancies. We want to be a help to them. We want to be um, a support to them, and one of the things I want to make really clear is this is God's victory. Um, God won this victory, and we celebrate, um, and what it means for our country. We want to continue to pray for revival. And this is not a political victory. I understand there are um, political spectrums that fall on one side or the other, but this is a victory for life, um, for those who are created in God's image, that they might have um, the, the opportunity to be born and to live as God intended them. And in that, I want you to, to also recognize and see, you know, I, I was a little, I guess I wasn't surprised, but um, there is a level of, of rage and anger over this decision. And one of the reasons for that is because um, people and, and women have been deceived for years and years that this is perfectly fine. The Supreme Court says that it's fine, that that's not a person that doesn't have a right to live. And now um, there are people that are, that are being faced with the results of that decision and now, in a lot of states, that's going to be, it's a felony. Now, in, in, we'll be in the state of Texas to commit an abortion. And so that causes people to have to, to reckon with that decision. And as a church, our role in that is to continue to stand up for life, but also to offer and to, and to continue to preach the good news that God forgives, that Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost of which we are one of, were, and that he comes to forgive us our sins and to heal us from all our iniquities. And that, that is our message. And you know what, in a church our size, there is, it is um, statistically uh, proven that there are those of us in this room who have been um, through that or who have been touched by uh, abortion in one way or the other, and we want you to know that we love you. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to tell you about the one who forgives and who heals and who wants to heal you. 
And that's, that's our role as a church going forward. And so we need to, you know, not return anger for anger. We want to stand strongly for life to be firm in that, but also to be firm in telling people that you can be forgiven and you can be set free from the guilt of that and you can move on and, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So there, these are days where there is going to be a lot of division. Let, our, let no one doubt our commitment to uh, defending life and let no one doubt our love for those who um, believe in other ways or who've made other choices, that we love them and that we want them to come to know Christ. And so that's, that's my prayer. And I want to I want to pray. I want to thank God for this victory. I want to pray for revival in our land. And I want to pray that God would use us to reach out with love and healing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, um, something that I, I know many of us wondered if it could ever happen. Father, we give you the glory and the honor and the credit. And Father, we know that that is a God-given right, the right to life. That those who were created in your image were created um, to live a life of purpose and meaning found in you. And Father, I pray for our church. I pray for churches around the country that, God, we would continue to stand firm. We know the battle is not over for life. And Father, that we would continue to offer peace and love and forgiveness to those, um, no matter where they are, those who are without Christ, and those who need forgiveness and those who need healing. And Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to be a light on a hill. Father, help us to shine brightly with your love, by your grace, and by your power. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want to turn your Bibles to Esther, um, I'm going to read in a few moments from chapter 2. Uh, Esther is, is, one, is one of those who would be what's considered an unlikely hero. And she was lifted up to a place of great prominence from nothing. And then she was brought to a place where he, she had to risk everything that she had been given uh, to do what was right. And that's true for us. You know, so many times we think uh, we, want, we want God to, to put us in a position. We want God to, to give us success. We want him to bless us. And all those things are fine. But you know what? Whenever you're in that spot, with every blessing, there is going to come an opportunity to compromise or to do what's right, to stand for God or to try to protect by our own means and by our own hands, the blessings that God has given us. And Esther found herself in all those situations. You know, A.B. Simpson, who is the founder of uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, said this, God is preparing his heroes. And when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder where they came from. You know, it's amazing to me, so many times we only see and think about people who do things on this grand scale. And we think, now what could God do with me? Well, Esther would have been one of those people. And the thing is that God can use any of us to do great things in the lives of someone else. You know, there was a guy, a man who was, uh, uh, he faithfully taught a sixth grade boys Sunday school class. And if you've ever taught a sixth grade boys Sunday school class, then you know what the expression hurting cats means, all right? And so it, it can be difficult, and it can be challenging. And, you know, boys are all over the place. But he felt like that was his ministry. And every year he faithfully went in there, and he dealt with those kids, and some, some weeks were good weeks, some weeks were not. But in every week, 
He told people about the good news of Jesus and gave them an opportunity to come to know Christ. And I'm sure in his mind, he thought, man, this is no big deal what I'm doing. Who's this, what's this really going to affect? But every week he was faithful to show up to that class. And one week a young man came in and at the end of it, when he, when he shared about how to become a believer and he shared about the good news of Jesus Christ, he accepted Christ and it changed his life. And he went out and later on, God called him to preach the good news everywhere that he could. And so that young man went on and preached the gospel in crusades and then finally on television and then finally all over the world. And his ministry is still going on and his name is Billy Graham. And it all started with a man who was faithful to show up every Sunday and to teach young kids, young men, the good news of the word of God. And so, you know what? We never know when God may call us or put us in an opportune moment to affect not only a life, but maybe hundreds of lives, maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. And so all that can happen in a moment and through any one of us, God can choose to use us to do something great. Now to start out, all this story with Esther begins with a woman saying no to her husband. And what happened was uh, Xerxes was the king of Persia. And that was, many thought at that time, was probably the most powerful nation on earth, the most powerful empire that there was. And there was one thorn in their side, and that was uh, Athens in, in the Greek area. And Xerxes' father, Darius I, had gone over and tried to conquer Athens and was defeated uh, by the Athenians at Marathon. Um, it was about 496 uh, B.C., and he was defeated, went back, and he had already taken in this group that had come to him that had been banished by a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. The Jews were now in Persia, and they were under his rule and under his authority. And he had this great banquet to try to get all his princes and all the different rulers in the area and the captains of the military to go with him um, to go ahead and invade Greece again because his father had failed and died trying to do it again, trying to get ready to do it again. And it, it was ingrained in him to go take revenge on Greece. His father, every night before he had dinner, had a servant that would, that would whisper in his ear, remember the Athenians, three times. He did that every day of his life. His young son saw that, and it became part of his life too. So he has all these men together, and he's impressing them with his power. He's talking about his military might. He's talking about military glory. And after they've been drinking for a while, he decides and sends for the, the queen to come and show her beauty to all the men because he wants to impress them all with her beauty. And the queen says, yeah, no, not coming. And so you, you think about that. You're a king and you're trying to get all these men to come and, and to lead their armies with you on an invasion. And then your wife tells you no in front of all of them and embarrasses you. Now, she was probably right. He was drunk. Who knows what he had, what intentions he had, but she said no. And so he gathers all the men of wisdom, says, well, what do I do with this? And they said, well, hey, here's the problem with this king is now all over, all over the, 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 the provinces of Persia, all these women are going to think they can tell their men no too. And so it's going to ruin all of society. It's going to be mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. We got to do something. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit the story. I hope y'all know that. 
And so here's what they come up with. They said, look, what you need to do is send out a decree everywhere that because the queen said no, that she's banished from your presence and she is no longer queen. And this will cause order to once again reign on the world. Now you got to add, you know, you really want to ask the God, y'all, have y'all ever met a woman? Did y'all ever know? I don't know. Anyway, that's what they decided to do. So he sends out this decree. And after a while, he gets a little lonely and he's sitting there thinking, He's thinking with fond memories of Vashti. Well, his men see that and they go, hey, king, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send all over your realm. We're going to send out a decree that all single, the most beautiful, eligible women are going to come here and they're all going to come into you and you're going to pick the one that you want to be your wife. And they're going to be all, all these beautiful women. And so he goes, okay, sounds like a good idea. So they send out a decree. And now here's where we pick up. Here's where Esther comes into the story in Esther chapter two, verses five through seven, through seven, excuse me, if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So at that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who along with King Jehoiakim of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Esther, you wouldn't say, was born into a great situation. Her people are exiled in Babylon. They are under the rule of, of a, uh, a foreign king. They're in a land where foreign gods are worshipped. They're trying to follow the God of Israel. But they have to be quiet and they have to be careful about who they reveal that to. And not only that, but both her, her mother and father have died. And as an orphan, she's taken in by her uncle who raises her. And so... As a result, she gets chosen to be one of the women that goes to the king. And you know what? One of the times we really think, if we were in the, 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 the circumstances that Esther found herself, you know, sometimes that's our first thing is we look around us and we think, man, if I could change my circumstances, if I could get a better job, if I could, you know, have my own business where I didn't have to answer anybody else, if I could just change my circumstances, then, then everything would be better. But here's what the Word of God teaches us. That even in the presence of our enemies, even in the midst of them, that God can raise us up at the right time. That God can bless us. As a matter of fact, there's a verse in Scripture, Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And you know, so many times we think, if I could change my circumstances and my surroundings, everything would be better when God said, if you'll trust me, I'll bless you even amongst those who are trying to destroy you. You don't have to change your circumstances to be blessed by God. As a result of the king's decree, Esther 2, 8-9, through Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Now, Haggai was the king's chief eunuch. 
Y'all want to talk about that with your kids at home? That's cool. I'm not going to do that here. I don't really want to get into that. Let's just say he's one of those guys that you would have no trouble entrusting your wife to or some other lady for a period of time. Y'all know what a eunuch is, right? Just nod your heads. Do y'all really? Do, do, how many of y'all don't know what a eunuch is? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. All right, there's a few honest people. The rest of y'all. Some of y'all I can tell by your blank stares. You're like, yeah, I don't know, but I ain't going to admit it. <laughs> a eunuch would be like a steer. Y'all understand now? Y'all get me now? Y'all feel me? This is Parker County. I'm hoping that one will, will help you to understand. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. Well, you might think, well, she's a pretty woman, yeah, but he don't, he don't care about that. Y'all remember? He a eunuch. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. See, even in a difficult situation, even in a, in a tough spot, even in this place, God has given her favor. God is, is taking care of her. He's watching over her. And there's a blessing there. And so here's the thing. How do you get that where you're at? It's simple. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. No matter what your situation is, you know, we just think sometimes if I can just escape my circumstances. But what's God, what God is saying to you is, don't worry about your circumstances. If he wants to change those, he can change them. And I'm not saying he doesn't sometimes lead us somewhere different or do a different job. Sometimes that happens. But what I'm telling you is that your circumstances don't have to change for God to bless you or for God to raise you up. I mean, if you look at it, Esther is a, an orphaned Jew living in Persia. If you put, put all the most beautiful women together, she should have been the, most the least likely one to end up as queen of Persia. Least likely out of all of them. But guess what happens? One at a time, the, the, for one thing, the, the Haggai tells her everything, what clothes to wear to please him, all these different things. She tells him what he likes. And so when she goes to him, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, it says in Esther 2, 16 through 20. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the great occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor. Banquets are a big deal in Esther for some reason. There's lots of banquets. Okay? Declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. So Mordecai is now working at the palace. But nobody knows that Esther is his niece. 
It's a secret. Nobody knows that Esther is a Jew. But now here's the deal. Haman now is faced with a choice. Excuse me, not Haman. Mordecai is faced with a choice because of a guy named Haman. And Haman's a guy that he didn't really know. But apparently he had something against him. And Haman had something against Mordecai. So what was it? Well, in Esther 3, 1 through 4, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamathada, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Like, man, what is up with Mordecai? He works for the king. The king told him to bow down to this guy, but he ain't doing it. Why not? What did, what, did, what did Haman ever do to him? There's nowhere listed in Scripture that Haman ever did or said anything to him before this. So why did it happen? Then the palace, at the, officials, the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the Lord, the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. This is important. Since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. So why would he tell them that he was a Jew? Because the key part about Haman is, is that he was an Agagite. And that means that he was related to this king, King Agag, that goes way back in history, in the history of the children of Israel. Agag is part of it way back in Deuteronomy. We're going to get to that in a minute. But the history even goes farther back than that. You see, Agag was king of, the, of Amalek, or the Amalekites, okay? And when you go back to Genesis 36, 12, it says, Timnah, the concubine of Esau's son, Eliphaz, gave birth to a son named Amalek. These are the descendants of Esau's wife, Ada, okay? So Amalek goes all the way back to Esau. Jacob is the father of Israel, okay? And what happened all the way back with Jacob and Esau? Just like they were twins, but they butted heads all the time. As a matter of fact, at one point, Jacob deceived Esau, or his father anyway. He deceived Esau first, tricked him into giving him his birthright. Then he stole it from him from his father. And what did Esau say? I'm a, I'm a killing. That's what he said. I'm a killing. He was that mad. And what did he do? He took off. He left for years and didn't come back. And then when he finally did come back, he made all his family stay off to the side. He said, because he may kill me. And Esau came up and said, hey, there's peace. It's all good. But Jacob never trusted him because he knew Esau. Esau was a man of great temper. And so he stayed away from him his entire life. And Esau is now the grandfather of Amalek. All right? So you think, well, surely they'd let, you know, bygones be bygones. But in 1 Samuel 15, 2 through 3, God's speaking about Amalek. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. Oh, wait a minute. I need to go back to Deuteronomy 25, 17. He's telling the children of Israel, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary. 
and they struck down those who were straggling behind. See, they didn't just come out and fight Israel. They tried to pick off the weak and those who were straggling, those who were struggling in life. And let me tell you something, that, that is why we should have compassion for a lot of people who have had an abortion through the years is because the enemy picked them off when they were vulnerable, when they were struggling, when they were in the place, a place of great stress. And we ought to offer love and forgiveness to them, not condemnation. What happened when they did that, they became an enemy of God. It says, they attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land, is giving you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven. Never forget this. And so when the children of Israel got to the promised land, they went in there, guess what they didn't do? They didn't get rid of the Amalekites. They at some point made peace with them. And so here's the problem with it. It's when you allow your enemy to live at peace with you in your own land, at some point, the enemy you've made peace with is going to be your enemy again. And when you look at those nations and you look at the promised land, the promised land is a, a visual picture of a Christian life. Okay? As the Israelites, like we did, they get into the promised land going through water. That's symbolic of baptism. They're coming into the promised land, which is relationship with Christ. That's what it's symbolic of. And you know what God tells us to do? He says, get rid of all those things of the world that are in your life. Turn your back on sin. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Get rid of it. But you know what some of us do? Because we're all going to struggle with sin our whole life. And at some point, some of us, we just decide it's easier to make friends with it than it is to fight against it. And so we make peace with our sin. Well, hey, you know what? That's just the way I am. We make excuses. That's what the children of Israel did. And then in 1 Samuel, here's what God commands Saul. He's the first king. And one of the first things God tells him is, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalek nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Now I'm not going to pretend to understand all that or the whys of it, but here's what I do know. God's holy and God's just. And when God says do something, he's just in saying it. The Amaleks, were, the Amalekites were an evil people. They were evil. They did all kinds of evil under the eyes of God. Okay? And so God says, and that's what he says about sin, get rid of it. Don't make peace with it. Get rid of it. But Saul didn't do that. And as a result of it, he lost his crown. God anointed David instead of Saul because Saul wasn't obedient. And you know how Saul ended up dying? He was beaten. He calls over this young man and says, hey, in my life, kill me. I don't want to fall into their hands. And so the young man does, and he goes and he turns up in front of David and says, hey, Saul's dead. Saul was trying to kill David at the time. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite. You think it's a coincidence that when God told him to wipe those people out and he didn't, that it was one of them that ended his life? Nope. 
Were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one, David asked? Then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, for you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. You see, David understood what that command meant. Now, I, I, I get it. This sounds like a lot of violence, and you're like, well, I don't get all that. And I don't totally get it either, but I know something. When God says do something, you better do it. Okay, now we're under a new covenant now, and things are a lot different. God doesn't tell us to go kill somebody. Okay, judgment, at this point, God said, I'll bring judgment at the right time, but he's being patient. At the time, that's what he told God to do. But here's what we do. James 4, 4 through 5, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You see, that's the deal. God had declared himself to be an en enemy of Amalek, of the Amalekites. And when the Israelites made friends with the Amalekites, they became alive with enemies of God. And that's what we do when we take sin lightly. Now, none of us are going to be free from sin here on this earth. And there are certain sins that you're going to struggle with till the day you die. But don't quit the fight. Don't make peace with it. Don't give up. Those things are going to come back. And you know what Mordecai did? Mordecai refused to bow down before someone that he knew was an enemy of God, even though he knew it could cost him his life. And so here's what Haman did. He went to King Xerxes and said, hey, there's these people living amongst us, these Jews. And they're not following your laws. They don't live like we live. He said, Let me, let's pass a law. We need to get rid of them. And so he came up with this law and King Xerxes says, fine, do whatever you think. And on this particular day that was coming up a few months from then, he said, anybody that wanted to could go wipe out the Jews and take whatever they owned as their own possession." And so it was sent out as a decree from the king. It was a law. And so when Mordecai heard that, he began to mourn because of his people what was going to happen to him. And he couldn't go into the palace gates anymore, even though he was an official, because he was in sackcloth. And so Esther saw that and said, hey, well, send him some clothes like that was going to help. He refused to put them on. And so she said, what's the deal? And he tells her about what's going to happen to all the Jews. And at this point, see, Mordecai had a, had a choice. He could bow down before God's enemy, or he could stand up and do what was right, no matter what it cost. And now what does it look like? It look, not only does it look like it's going to cost him, it's going to cost everybody. And so Esther's there, and she's, she's queen now, which... I don't know, but it seems like a pretty decent life. She's got servants all the time. She doesn't do anything. Whatever she wants, she has. And so Haman says, excuse me, Mordecai says, you need to talk to the king and see if you can get him to change this. And she said, well, you know, I can't just go to the king. See, there was this thing. Even though you were the queen, you couldn't just go into the king on your own. You had to be summoned. And if you went without being called, there were only two things that could happen. Number one, he would look at you and extend the scepter, which meant that you could come in and talk to him. Or number two, if he didn't do that, if he looked away or didn't do anything, you were immediately put to death. No trials, no jail, no ifs, ands, or buts, gone. Dead. 
No, hey, wait a minute, I got it. No, you didn't get to say nothing. You didn't get to ask him a question. You were dead. And she said, he hadn't called me in 30 days. And so Mordecai responds with this. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. You see, in your blessing at some point, there's going to be a test or something you're called to do, and it's going to seem really risky. You know, I've been put in this spot, and now I have the opportunity. And we all, there's all kinds of rules out there in the world about what you can say and what you can't say. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't respect those, but there may come a time where you have to do something that may risk everything that you feel like God's given you. But here's the deal. When you start feeling like you need to protect what God has blessed you with, now you're allowing fear to rule. Because when God blesses you with something, He'll also protect it. And it's His anyway. But so many times, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. We're willing to do things when we don't have much. But then when we have more, it, it changes, doesn't it? You know, I, I didn't have any fear when I was young, 20-something single guy. Now, when I got married, then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm responsible for somebody else. But let me tell you when I knew really new fear. It's when I held, held my son for the first time. And all the ones come out. And let me tell you something. That's when, that's when you really start to know fear. Because first of all, you're like, what if I drop them? What if I mess this up? I'm responsible for this child. They can't do anything with it without us. That's when you the, more you, the more you've been blessed with, the more you realize how much it would hurt to lose it. But when you start thinking that way and you start letting fear rule, then guess what? You might miss the very reason that you've been blessed in the first place. The next thing that Mordecai said to her, he says, who knows? Perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. For just such a time as this. You see, God, He may have, His blessings are good. It's good to be blessed. But a lot of times it's not just for us. Sometimes it's to bless other people. And sometimes you may even have to, to risk or feel like you're risking what you've been blessed with to honor and glorify God. Esther had to make a choice. She decided to do it, to go for it. So she goes in there and the king extends his scepter to her. Not only that, he says, come on in. He says, what is it that you want? I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she could have said, wow, man, I can... I can ask for all kind of stuff. But you know what she said? The only thing I want from you, I want you to come to a banquet. Here's another banquet. And I want you to bring Haman. See, Haman's the one that came up with the law. And not only that, he's been plotting to kill. He, he don't care about the rest of the Jews. He wants them all dead too because he hates them. But he's mainly wanting to kill Mordecai. 
And so according to all his friends and what they've all told him to do, he's built this huge 40-foot stake in front of his house that he's going to impale Mordecai on when that day comes. Not, not a fun way to die, but that's what he's doing. And so Esther goes in there and she says, I want to do a banquet for both of you. So they're in there and, and she's serving them and the king's delighted. And he says, okay, so this is great. But once again, what do, you want, what do you want me to do for you? And she spills the whole deal. She tells him, I'm a Jew. And there's one in here that is, has plotted to kill all my people and me. And his name's Haman. And she, I mean, man, she didn't even go behind his back. She said, bring him in here. I'm going to tell him right to his face. And she threw it all out there right in front of him. And he didn't have any defense. He didn't have anything to say. He didn't have any excuses. You know what he had? Fear. And so the king's so mad when he hears about it, he walks outside for a minute. And Haman is, is like, uh, and so he goes to the queen. He's going to beg for his life. And he falls on the couch where she's sitting and kind of falls onto her. And when the king walks right back in, he goes, this guy thinks he can attack the queen right in front of me? And as soon as he said that, boom, <clears throat> hood over his head, tied him up and hauled him off. And when they asked the king what to do, he said, go and execute him on the, the, the great log that he had prepared for Mordecai. So they did. And he put out this decree across all the land that the Jews could defend themselves against those who hated them and were trying to destroy them. And so the Jews, when their enemies attacked, they wiped them out all across the land. And there was a great fear amongst the Persians of the Jews because of what God had done for them. And see, it all happened because one man chose to raise his niece and God lifted her up. And she didn't take that blessing and that opportunity in that position as something that was just for her to be enjoyed. She saw it as an opportunity to be used by God. And she saved all of her people because she was faithful. See, who knows why you've been given what you've been given. Maybe it was for just such a time as this. And maybe the moment hasn't come yet. Maybe the opportunity hasn't come yet. Maybe you haven't even been lifted up just yet. But if you keep humbling yourself before God and you keep trusting Him, He'll exalt you at the proper time. And when those blessings come, be on the lookout. There might be an opportunity for you to bless someone else. For you to love someone else. You know, I'm constantly amazed at people that, um, whether it's through their blessings or that God has brought them through a time of suffering or a time of difficulty, or maybe God's just given them something. They have the opportunity to be generous or they have the opportunity to to bless and minister to someone else because of how God has brought them through a difficult time. You see, God doesn't waste either the blessings or the hardships of our life. He has a purpose for all of them. Now, I want you to understand something. Not every bad thing that happens in life is because God said, oh, I'm going to make this bad thing happen 
What he says, what the Word of God says in Romans 8, 28, is that God works all things to good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so everything that happens to us, God can work it to good in our life and in the lives of someone else. That means the good things, the bad things, and all the in-between things. But here's what we got to be willing to do is be out there. And there are always moments of vulnerability. When you're sharing with someone else who's going through a difficult time, that you've been through that time yourself, that's a vulnerable spot. When you do something that might cost, you, you think it might cost you some of the blessings or the position or the things that He's given you, it feels vulnerable. But Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will work out His plans for my life. He will work out His plans for your life. And the warrior mindset of a believer is that no matter what has happened in my life, that God wants to use it for good. Has He blessed you financially? It's to use it for His good. It's to use it for good. Have you gone through a difficult time and you have a testimony about how God brought you through it? It's to, he can use it for good. But you've got to be willing to step in there. Esther was not a likely hero. But God used her in a mighty way. You know, one of the, one of the amazing things about about Jesus. There was a time, and during this time, Esther, she didn't have, she, she couldn't run around saying, well, I got my rights or anything else. She didn't have any. But Jesus came and changed that. And showed us that, that women and men are to be equally valued in the eyes of God. And that God has a plan for each of us. And that God can use us and wants to use us. There is no in any way, shape, or form, anything that Jesus ever said that would make you think that women are less than men or that men are less than women. Paul said it. God is no respecter of persons, whether male or female, no matter your nationality or anything else. If you are a child of God, you are a child of God. Period. Now, do we have different roles sometimes in life? Absolutely. But we all have the same value. And God has a purpose for each one of us. It's just finding what His purpose is. And living it. One of the things I really want to stress to you is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, your purpose begins with Jesus. It begins with knowing Him as your Savior and Lord. That's where you begin to understand why God created you. Why you're here what you're here for. It all begins with a relationship with Him. You know, Jesus said very clearly, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Me. And so if you want to know the way, the truth, and you want to know life, it starts with Jesus. And so I'm not asking you how much you know about Him. I'm not, there's, no, there's no test Hey, answer 20 questions about Jesus and you're in or out or not. It's nothing like that. 
is do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you don't, we want to give you the opportunity to begin one today. And it really requires three things. Number one is you got to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't, I, I'm not, although I'm on a stage, I'm not preaching down to you. I'm telling you the truth because I'm, I'm a sinner too. I was saved by grace through the relationship with Christ. And it begins by admitting that you're a sinner and asking forgiveness of your sins. Second thing is you got to believe that Jesus is God's son. That he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose on the third day according to scripture. And then thirdly, as you accept Jesus as your savior, you got to confess him as Lord. That means that he's going to be boss of your life. He is, he's boss of mine. Now, do I mess up? Yep. But that's how it works. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you got to admit you're a sinner and ask forgiveness of your sins. And as you do that, you got to turn away from your way of living and determine that from now on, God's word and his will is going to rule your life. You'll fail at it. We all do. But when we fail, we get up and we keep going because of what Jesus did for us. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you have peace with God, and if you'd like to know that you're going to be in heaven with Him for eternity, I want to lead you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, in a brief prayer of salvation. So I'm going to ask that everyone bow your head, close your eyes, and if that's you and you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with Him, I want you to pray this with me right now. You can repeat it after me or you can pray it in your own words. But pray it with me now. Pray it. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. God will hear you. But let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. Cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer without anybody looking around, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything. But if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. Okay? All right? Okay. See you. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to tell someone. We would love to talk to you and answer any questions you have about your decision and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. As soon as this service is over, there'll be a staff member right here. If you want to talk to somebody today, we can make that happen. Or if you don't have time or you'd rather do it some other time, there's a number on the screen. You can just text, I did it to that number and we'll get back to you and we'll set up a time to talk either on the phone or in person. 
We're not going to ask anything from you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. You're not committing to anything. All we want to do is talk to you and share with you about the next steps in following Jesus. And while you're welcome to come back to church here, you don't even have to do that. We just want to help. And so we would love to hear from you. However you'd like to contact us and let us know. And we'd love to talk to you about what it means now to follow Christ. So I want to pray for you and pray for each of us that as we end up in those situations where even in our blessings that we can do something, we can take a stand, we can be used by God for someone else, that He would give us the strength to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and for Your love. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for those who made a decision today to follow You and to trust You as their Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that You would um, show them through Your Word who You are, help them to find the right church home. And Father, thank You for allowing us to be a part of their journey. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.